Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon and a happy new year to everybody who hears this and a healthy new year. And actually, at my age, healthy has now uh, preceded happy. Um, so I have a healthy and a happy new year. Um, I took a couple of weeks off and uh, I'm back. And uh, I've been talking with Margaret communicating with Margaret, not talking. We've been communicating with memos and stuff. And uh, she suggested a topic of toxic relationships. Uh, and I thought I would talk about toxic relationships today, but not just uh, what they are, but how to change them. Because, uh, well, a lot of people don't know they're in a toxic relationship. So first of all, let me back up and be a little professorial about this. Uh, when I say a relationship is toxic, I'm making a judgment about it. When I say something is toxic, it means it's poisonous, and that's my judgment. Uh, There is no, uh, hello, Marion, how are you? Um, There is no uh, uh, objective way to define a relationship as either good or bad, and so um, um, I have to make a definition of it. And so toxic doesn't do it, like any judgment, like calling somebody crazy for their actions. It doesn't explain the actions. And to say that a relationship is toxic doesn't explain why I think it's toxic. Any relationship is toxic if it's dehumanizing, okay? In which people dehumanize each other within a relationship. And we all have relationships in our lives, and we particularly have a relationship with ourselves. And one of the things that I've learned, and I think many psychologists would agree with this over the years of working with people, is that when you grow up and live in toxic relationships, uh, I think right now the entire country is bathed in toxic political relationships. And I'll explain that and maybe even do a separate show on that. Um, I, get a, I get a lot of response when I talk about politics. Um, anyway, um, uh, when, when I, I talk about a toxic relationship, a dehumanizing relationship, uh, and people have grown up in these relationships, they very often dehumanize themselves. The relationship they have with themselves is toxic. And so they're inside that relationship and they can't see a way out. And that becomes what uh, the behavior that results from that to the kind of things that people do to themselves, that we all do to them, so ourselves when we behave in a toxic way to ourselves, in a poisonous, dehumanizing way, uh, is what ends up being called mental illness. And that's simply another label uh, that doesn't help us understand or find the skills and the knowledge to change those relationships. So, I have to be professorial for another minute and talk about what do I mean by a dehumanizing relationship. And that becomes tough, because if I say someone dehumanizes you or you dehumanize someone else or yourself, I have to sort of talk about what does it mean to be a human being. And I've sort of done this before, but let me do it again. I think we're human when we make choices and we take responsibility for our choices, right? Not blame ourselves for the consequences of our choices, not make judgments about it, but understand what the choice was. Try to understand why we chose the action that we did, why we said what we did, the language that we use, the things that we do to ourselves and other people, and and make better choices. I think much of life and the growth of life and maturity involves making choices that are better. 
And to me, they're better if they make us more human and increase our freedom, if they empower us. So the more we're able to choose the way we live and choose our relationships and choose how to handle ourselves in a relationship, the more human we become. And the more we accept responsibility for our actions, not anyone else's, just our own actions, the more human we become. Now, there's another aspect of humanity that grows out of that, and I've spoken about this before, and that's the creative aspect. Um, we are more queer, When we create something new, when we speak something or say something or make a drawing or a painting or bake a, bake a piece of something that somebody will eat, and it's our creation, it wasn't there before. We made it. We chose to make this. And we put ourselves into it, and it, it, it has that unique aspect that only we could put it into it. And then I think we're being human. So to me, the heart of being human is making choices, accepting responsibility for our choices, growing with our choices, being empowered to make new and, and more humanizing choices, and to be creative. And again, that to me represents a good life. And unfortunately, a lot of our relationships are not humanizing, but they are dehumanizing. And that, to me, is is where the trouble lies. Now, when we talk about a relationship, when we talk about a relationship, we're talking about something that um, is a two-way street, right? One of the dehumanizing aspects in many relationships is that people see themselves as a victim, maybe quite accurately as a victim, but they don't see that the relationship is always a two-way street, that if you're in a relationship, it's like a bridge. It's held up on both ends, and a relationship cannot continue the way it, 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 it has existed when either side lets go of the relationship or decides to act differently in that relationship. And I think that's what's important. And so what I want to talk about in these so-called toxic dehumanizing relationships and changing them to humanizing and creative relationships um, is what lies between people. Now, you've heard me say this before, those of you who listen, uh, that, that it's what's between us. So not what's in us, it's what's between us, what's said what exists in the space between any two or more human beings, right? And what is the dialogue that exists between any two human beings? Is it a fruitful two-way dialogue, or is one person merely dehumanizing and beating up another and the other accepting it, believing it, okay? So this, to me, is the heart of understanding a relationship that is good or bad, toxic or humanizing, dehumanizing or humanizing. And this, to me, uh, is where hope lies, in the power we all have if we can stand outside that relationship and look at what's been going on inside the relationship. And we've talked about this before, and I want to talk about it in relationship to uh, just normal people, and then uh, talk about it in relation to therapy, because it is my belief that when someone goes for so-called therapy, there's nothing medical about therapy, 
Um, it is a hopefully a humanizing, empowering relationship that permits one person to understand how they've been dehumanized, how they've been dehumanizing others, because I don't think any of us are free of the responsibility of dehumanizing other people, and changing the relationships outside of the therapeutic relationship so that we make choices, we take better and, and richer responsibility for our lives, and we end up being creative, that we change our job from something dull to something that we put something into and are proud of, that we uh, <clears throat> do something other than sit at home, drink beer, smoke dope, and watch moronic television shows. Now, again, if you're into that, you don't have to listen to this. Uh, on the other hand, there is so much out there to be enjoyed in terms of real art and real science and dancing and singing and, and being active in sports uh, that is the counterweight to the kind of hopelessness and emptiness that exists in so many relationships that we end up calling um, depression, uh, oh, oh, that, that common cold of psychiatry, uh, and finding ourselves in a psychiatric relationship which invariably, if it starts with a diagnosis, uh, it ends up being uh, and, and, and ends up with drugs. To me, it's dehumanizing, right? Uh, because you are more than the sum total of your brain chemistry, and if this relationship that you're in uh, and your suffering isn't relieved by your taking responsibility and greater responsibility for the things in your life that are causing you such misery then um, it's a dehumanizing and it's not only useless as a relationship and expensively useless as a relationship, but it is uh, toxic and it is to be avoided. Okay? Now, what are the hallmarks of any relationship in which um, it's humanized? Well, one is, can you be heard? Do you hear another? I mean, is your voice as important as any other voice in the room? Um, one of the things I, I despise about so much of the political discourse, it's nothing but calling people names. If you agree with the politician, you're a good guy. If not, you're a liberal, you're a fascist, you're a commie. Uh, it's nothing but a degrading series of labels in which these politicians tell us how great they are how wonderful they are, how, how absolutely morally pure they are, uh, and uh, shut up and listen to me, otherwise you're a bad guy. And I don't see much dialogue that exists on that level. Uh, so uh, relationship as you grow between you and your parents, can you hear them out? Can they hear you out? Can you find a way of insisting that you are heard in the relationship. And I don't mean by screaming. Um, one of the, the, the real problems in so many relationships is that when we're frustrated, when we feel we're not being heard by our children, by our parents, we start yelling. We raise our voice. It ends up in screaming. It ends up in insults. It ends up in, look what you're doing to me, you son of a bitch. This kind of, of interaction goes nowhere 
in terms of increasing our ability to create, to develop the skills, to make the choices that are necessary in so many difficult areas of life. And by the way, as I say this, please understand as, as a backdrop to all of this, that life is tough. I don't think anybody's life is easy. Uh, shit happens. Uh, unfortunately, it happens more to some people than to other people. Uh, I don't know why, unless, of course, it's someone who chooses to dump that shit on us. But, uh, you know, somebody gets cancer. Somebody gets hit by a car. Uh, so much of the world now, bombs are going off where people are being dehumanized as political expedients. And it doesn't matter who you kill as long as you kill somebody. Uh, that makes you the big man. That makes you uh, uh, the revolutionary. That is what gives meaning and purpose to somebody's life. Um, what a tragedy. What a tragedy for those who have been bombed, whose lives have been destroyed or maimed, and those who do it. Uh, I think that when an administration sends men out to war uh, for its own purposes, when it lies, and we know that the lies are always found out. I'm going back to Vietnam, uh, where the president, then Johnson, said we were going into Vietnam full hog, full force, half a million men, uh, because we were attacked in the Gulf of Tonkin by a North Vietnamese uh, uh, war vessel. It never happened. They made it up. They lied. Uh, the present war is predicated, as the best I can see and anybody else can see, on a series of lies. People are being used for the purposes of someone else, and there's no dialogue, and these individuals don't seem to engage in a dialogue. Just hurl insults. Just pick out who the good guys are, the bad guys are, and boy, is it depressing and is it difficult to live in this particular way. So... Can you have a dialogue? If you're seeing a therapist, does your therapist listen to you? I mean, really hear you. Um, I could tell you stories over the years of therapists and the things I've heard and seen them do, not just the act of diagnosis, which is inherently dehumanizing, which is inherently destructive to the human spirit, uh, because it says that you're not responsible and that your actions are not taking place in difficult, uh, complex, confusing circumstances. It's not between you and your mother, between you and your father, between you and your siblings, between you and your teachers, between you and the, and the larger world. It's in you. There's a defect. You see, so you're defective, and therefore uh, uh, you just have to listen to me. And so the, these, that aspect is dehumanizing. I once listened to a phone call, a guy uh, in a clinic, and he was calling a patient, and she, he was his last patient. She was his last patient, and it was about 1 o'clock, and he wanted to go home early. So he called up the, the patient who was supposed to come in around 4 o'clock, and he said, to her, I know you don't want to come in today, so you don't have to. And, and uh, he went home. And... I'm still ashamed that I didn't get him fired for that, that, that I, I was still at that point living under this sort of professional credo that you don't turn your fellow uh, therapists in. Uh, I did speak to him about it, and I did say to him that what he did was terribly destructive 
because he didn't ask this person whether she wanted to come in. He put thoughts in her mind. Uh, he told her what her motives were, and that is always destructive. Now, I can only hope uh, that she never came back to see him or asked for another therapist. But as is so much the case, when somebody of authority and power is working with somebody who doesn't have that authority, doesn't have that skill, doesn't have that language, uh, she may have come back and, and, and not expressed her outrage at what he had done, but swallowed it and been further dehumanized. Because, again, I've met very few people who come to therapy uh, who are not there because they have been dehumanized. And while they may complain about others, uh, they don't enter into and don't demand a real, genuine dialogue with those with whom they're upset and those uh, who they feel have hurt them. Um, looking into someone's eyes. A humanizing relationship involves eye contact, involves touching, involves hugging. Uh, if it's between intimates, it involves sex. Um, but it's a two-way thing. Uh, sex can be one of the more humanizing aspects, uh, uh, deliciously humanizing aspects of human life. Or it can be dehumanizing and, and uh, overwhelming, um, in which one person acts on another without their consent and without their will. Perhaps one of the most dehumanizing of all acts is rape. Uh, it's up there close to murder. In fact, as I say that, there is a, a, a concept that came back to me that somebody wrote about many years ago, a little, a little letter that was sent in to the American Psychologist, which is the main journal of the American Psychological Association, in which the individual spoke about soul murder. And there's all kinds of ways in which we can murder others and murder their souls. And again, I don't mean soul in the sense of, of a religious soul, but that aspect of ourself that we struggle so hard to preserve, um, that, that we, we struggle deeply to preserve, uh, wherein lies our dignity, the source of our making uh, our choices, and the source of our creativity. So, eye contact, an honest, open dialogue. Uh, therapists, interesting. There are certain questions I think you should ask any therapist uh, when you start out. And one would be, can you work with me without diagnosing me? Now, this re really creates a problem if you want to have third-party insurance pay for it. Okay? But if you allow a diagnosis to be made, and you know, and your therapist even agrees, I don't agree that this is a real diagnosis, they say. Well, isn't that wonderful? You end up now defrauding the insurance company, but colluding to, with your therapist uh, and lying with your therapist and ending up dehumanizing yourself and being dehumanized by that label. And boy, it will come back to haunt you. Um, therapists keep notes. Okay? I've discovered, very important, ask to see the notes. Okay? Most therapists, will throw a fit. I mean, get really upset and angry. Why, why, why do you want to see them? Don't you trust me? And the answer is, the very fact that you won't show me what you've written about me uh, tells me I shouldn't trust you. 
Because if you're writing things behind my back and you are afraid or ashamed to show them to me, that you're writing something that you know is not right uh, to be written about me. And don't let anybody give you, especially in any human relationship, the professional gobbledygook uh, that professionals very often use. Don't let them pull educational rank on you or use fancy words or labels. Uh, if somebody, any medical doctor who writes something about you and you pick up the file and look at it, the doctor won't say anything. Now, it is true that sometimes doctors write with him very often with a handwriting that can't be read, but th that's not because they don't want you to see it. That's just how they write. And you can ask any doctor, well, what did you write here? What is the diagnosis? What are you saying about me? And if they won't show you, uh, then it's time for a new doctor, just as it's time for a new therapist. But medical doctors really do show you. Right? Uh, therapists, a rare therapist, and that's the therapist to cherish. That's the professional who is not saying anything about you or anything against you. Is there somebody here that wants to speak? Oh. I don't think so. Wait a second. Something went blank here. Anyway. Um, anyway, uh, anytime somebody speaks about you, this is true with your friends. You know how hurt you are when you find a friend who's spoken behind your back to other people and doesn't tell you what they think or feel about you. Uh, and know that whenever you gossip about somebody else that you know who's a friend, that this is an individual you're dehumanizing. If you're ashamed to look in someone's eyes and face-to-face -face tell them what you think, uh, then um, you're in a relationship that is toxic. And again, this is true on any level, by my definition, that you wish to put it. Any definite, any level, whether it's you and your boyfriend or girlfriend, a mother or a father. And some of the lies we say, uh, I lie because um, it would hurt the other person if I tell them the truth. You know what? You're not protecting their feelings in a lie. You're protecting your own. I don't believe that these lies that we tell others are ever for the good of the other individual. Uh, you know, uh, doctors have a problem sometimes telling somebody that they have cancer and, and that they believe that they're terminal. And yet, doesn't the person have a right to choose to live uh, in their final days, months, or years as they would? Uh, how can they make choices that are creative and reasonable uh, that fulfill their lives, that allow them to say they're sorry to those who they feel they should apologize or to say I love you to those uh, who, to whom it will be too late to say I love you. So all of these lies, the lies that therapists tell patients, that we tell our therapists, that we tell each other as friends, as relatives, and, and I go back to the politicians, I despise their lies because their lies affect millions of people. And their lies, uh, uh, which dehumanize themselves, after a while, don't these people sound like a machine telling anybody who listens what they, want, what they think they want to hear when it's never the truth? I'm going to a political meeting this evening, 
the Democratic Club in my local area is meeting, and the candidates, uh, representatives of Barack Obama and uh, John Richards and uh, Hillary Clinton are coming. And I intend to ask some questions and express some of my thoughts and feelings. And I know that there are others in there who basically want to cheerlead uh, and are looking for some great person to save them from the terrible morass that we're in. And uh, I don't believe that anybody could save us. I think if we don't save ourselves if, as citizens, if we don't start to live more honestly and creatively, I think we're going down the tubes, and our entire country is going down the tubes with us. In fact, for the last couple of weeks, I have been very depressed about that. Uh, I feel maybe it's too late to even speak about these things. Maybe one of the reasons I didn't create a show last week is I feel, what the hell? Uh, I think that the political relationship, at least here in the United States, is so toxic and so empty and so depressed and depressing uh, that uh, I don't see what's going to change it around. It's interesting that Mike Huckabee and, and Barack Obama uh, won the Iowa primary, and I think one of the reasons they did win that primary is that people feel that maybe they're a bit more honest, a bit more uh, uh, decent as a human being, a little less machine-like, that they pander a little bit less, that their politics are a little less toxic because uh, they're not dehumanizing anybody. Uh, and, and by the way, getting attacked if they don't dehumanize. I mean, how can you have a politician who doesn't dehumanize the opposite uh, a party or dehumanize gays or dehumanize people who hate war or dehumanize, uh, uh, oh, it goes endless, uh, endless. Well, anyway, um, I feel like I've done enough for today. It's three minutes remaining. Marion, let me know what you want to talk about, and I'll interview you on the air. It would be my great pleasure, but I can't think of a topic because I don't know where your thoughts are in any of this. Or anybody else, anybody who hears this, give a call on a future show, and I will give you an interview. I'll put you on the air, and we'll talk about the stories of your life and how you see them, and, and uh, you can contribute to the change in the way we all live. Uh, because we are all citizens. We are all human beings choosing to live a certain way, either to be silent or to speak out, to be creative or just to be dull. Uh, we choose these things. Of course, we choose them because we've been convinced that that's the way we are, that somehow our essence is either defective uh, or that we're unlovable, that we're not good. And all of these are judgments that are laid upon us and it's time for any of us who live this way to struggle and recognize that I've been judged, not described. I've been dehumanized, not humanized, and I won't accept that any longer. Well, this is uh, Dr. Lawrence Simon. This is the stories we live by. I feel better. I hope you do, too. Um, I know my last show... Uh, a lot of people have tuned into it afterwards, the archive. I don't know uh, where these people are when it comes time to listen. Uh, I will try over the next weeks 
to uh, be uh, regular at Monday at 4 o'clock. It seems to be a decent enough time. Um, maybe I should move it to the evening. There will be more people available. But, well, for the time being, 4 o'clock on Monday seems to be a good enough time. And so I say good night, goodbye, and again, a very happy and a very healthy new year to all of you.